Welcome to the Wealthy Circle Podcast, where we take a deeper dive into this year's finalists and winners from our WealthManagement.com 2020 Industry Awards. These interviews cover the challenges, innovations, and trends in the wealth management industry and the individuals working to help advisors better help their clients. I'm David Armstrong. I'm the Editor-in-Chief of WealthManagement.com. We are here at our Wealthy Circle Podcast talking to some of the winners of the uh, Wealthies WealthManagement.com Industry Awards. Joining me here is Jonathan Hidako, the CEO of Just Invest. Jonathan, thanks very much for joining us. Yes, and thank you for having me. Absolutely. You guys were uh, uh, finalists in three categories in this year's awards, asset managers, separate accounts, asset managers, socially responsible investing, and technology providers, and portfolio management, accounting, and performance reporting. Uh, winners in asset managers for socially responsible investing. So congratulations for that. Thank you. Thank you very much. And you, you won this award for uh, ESG reporting. So before we begin and get into a little bit about Just Invest and what you guys are doing, uh, let's get the nomenclature straight. The category was socially responsible investing. You won for ESG reporting. Do you guys make a distinction between those two? Uh, how do you think about the ESG versus SRI nomenclature debate, if indeed there is even one? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, what I would say is we do both. Uh, I think there is some distinction, and it's really a distinction usually in in the cl- end client's mind if they've been in sort of this area for a longer time. You know, SRI was a more common uh, acronym if you went five, ten years back in time. Um, a lot of that came out of some of the church-based movements and some of the divestment movements and was really much more focused on negative screening. Obviously, ESG has evolved, and there's a lot of different approaches that folks are doing with ESG. And so I don't know specifically, you know, why the category itself was is termed is SRI rather than ESG. But, you know, I think that the world is, is kind of coalescing around ESG as the broader category. Yeah, totally. And I, I can't tell you exactly why we call that category socially responsible investing or impact investing either. I think the way I've heard some people make this distinction is thinking of ESG as the data and uh, social or socially responsible investing is the outcome, right? Uh, so you're using ESG factors in creating socially responsible investing or values-based or values-aligned investing portfolios. I don't know. Either way, I think it's just uh, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a thriving, growing area. And so tell me a little bit about uh, Just Invest. And if you were to give us the elevator pitch for the problems that you're trying to solve for financial advisors. What problems do financial advisors have that Just Invest is trying to solve for? Sure, thanks. So, you know, Just Invest, I like to say, we are technologists who do portfolio management rather than just portfolio managers. And I think that's representative of why we are in three categories, why we've won a number of nominations, you know, previous years and this year. We really start from a technology perspective, and I think that ultimately translates into how we engage with advisors and how we serve the advisors. So, Dave, we all know we live in a world now where customization has become the standard. You know, everybody walks around with maybe we all have our own iPhone or Samsung phone or Google Pixel or whatever, but it's infinitely customized as to what's on the splash screen, what apps we have, et cetera, et cetera. And that that customization is just permeating our lives. And we looked at that in terms of the context of portfolio management and account management and thought a lot about, this was five years ago, how our advisors going to be able to deliver that kind of customization to their end investor clients 
and keep control of their businesses, you know, be able to have well-diversified, prudent accounts for each client, but incorporate all of the customizations that are uh, being requested and that are appropriate for the family or the individual. And so we've invested a tremendous amount of technology into making the advisor very front and center, able to quickly choose the customizations for their client, apply those, see the impact in terms of traditional portfolio analytics, as well as, as we were just talking about, SRI ESG analytics, and then leave the ongoing daily management of the account to us so that they can get back to their lives and to their business. This is really, uh, the space you guys play in is, is what I've heard of described as direct indexing, correct? Uh, uh, yes. This is kind of the next wave. Uh, uh, I've heard it described also as, you know, the, the, the next wave. Uh, ETFs were a big disruptor. Direct indexing is going to be the next big disruptor for financial advisors and investing. Like you say, allows for the, the technology, allows for the easy customization of portfolios. ESG is an obvious overlay, but so is uh, tax optimization, correct? And, and I think you guys have also come out with some tax optimization tools that can be used for uh, advisors, clients, portfolios as well, correct? Yeah, that's absolutely correct. So if you look at the sort of the evolution of investment products for for advisors to, to put their clients into from you know traditional mutual funds into ETFs and particularly the low cost uh, opportunities and, and now the flourishing sort of various flavors and strategy types and ETFs. I don't think we would sit here and, and try to convince anybody that direct indexing is going to replace mutual funds or ETFs, but we see that it absolutely will play an important part within the context of the overall household. And there's a, a number of reasons for that. You know, you touched on the two big ones, which is the ability to customize around values, ESG, uh, or even, you know, many, many families who maybe are dual income in the same industry, or maybe you have an exec who's got a lot of stock from their company. So they have this, what we call human capital factor that they've already got large exposure to something. And the advisor wants to avoid duplicating that uh, in the investment account. Obviously you can't take a company out of an ETF, but with a direct index, you can do that. So it's the flexibility is tremendous in direct indexing and really I think is another tool in the advisor's tool case to, to help their clients out. Yeah, and uh, that customization is important. Often used the case if you know I'm buying a uh, SPY, but I don't want uh, these three companies just because I have a problem with those three companies inside the S&P 500. What do I do? Your tool allows someone to just excise those, almost you know, take a surgical-like uh, scalpel to the SPY and just remove those three companies and, and the, the portfolio kind of closes up on the other end and all the risk profiles and everything remains the same, correct? That's, that's exactly correct. If that's the goal, it's, it's a trivial exercise. Yeah. And then provides the kind of ongoing rebalancing around those decisions and customizations as you go on. When yeah, you're talking so about yeah, analyzing every account, we run every account through multiple scenarios. And then we've got a number of algorithms that uh, look across all of those scenarios and make recommendations as to whether the account should be adjusted, traded, et cetera. When you uh, look at uh, ESG investing or, or in investing based around ESG factors, the story there has always been up until recently, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, clearly institutional investors get it, a lot of European funds get it and, and are taking this approach. When it comes to the retail financial advisor, there's been slower uptake. 
Uh, I think there's a handful out there that that embrace it fully, and that's their value prop to go into the market as an ESG investor for values based or clients that want to invest around their values. But otherwise, the the in the run of the mill financial advisory shop, ESG has been a slow uptake. Why do you think that is? You know, there's a, there's probably several reasons. One big hurdle that we see with advisors is the beauty and the conundrum of of ESG SRI investing is that it's not a one size fits all product. And you know, every family, even within a family, you can find varying levels of prioritization of what's more important. You know, you could look in, in you know, perhaps even go home tonight and have a conversation with your family, and you'll see. Maybe your kids care more about climate change. Maybe you care more about governance. Maybe your spouse cares more about social issues. And so being able to adjust those priorities within a commingled fund obviously is not possible. So direct indexing offers a solution for that. But if you're, not, if you're an advisor and you haven't really spent a lot of time on these issues and you're not you know, trained up on it, it can be very daunting and, and often you know, off-putting. And so it's a little bit of a frightening conversation to open up with your client because oftentimes what we see is a client may arrive being very deep and very concerned about a specific issue. And so then the advisor can feel sort of on the defensive with respect to that. So a lot of what we've done and part of why we have worked tirelessly on our ESG reporting is really to help the advisor be able to communicate not just what's available in terms of choices, but what's the impact of those choices so their end investor can see how those are, are playing out in their account and, and what kind of social impact they're having through those decisions. That's interesting because impact, I think, is the kind of the, the driving thing for a lot of people who are serious about investing alongside their values. They want to see how their money is being used and, and the impact that it's having. How do you guys go about showing that impact when you do yeah, there's, there's really three three avenues that I think about impact in public equity space. And let's let's just all be very honest with ourselves, right? The data is quickly evolving. And so, you know, even if you looked where we were three or four years ago versus where we are today and kind of project forward, I think you'll be able to see that there'll be a lot of improvement um, as companies are obviously realizing that they need to provide more information and more transparency into their activities. So let's, let's kind of take that as the back context for the discussion. I think impact is the important uh, uh, aspect of this and what you guys do. Values-based investors who are serious about investing alongside their values want to see that impact played out uh, in their how, how the impact of their portfolio decisions are are actually playing out in the real world. Some of your ESG reporting around this is is important to those decisions. What what is it about the ESG reporting that you guys do which demonstrates the impact that these portfolios have? Yeah, so great question. There's really three avenues that I think of providing impact uh, reporting to the to the end investor and, and to the advisor to, to discuss with their client. So the first is in your traditional screening approach where you're taking companies out, it's nice to be able to tell the end investor, let's say, for example, that they wanted to exclude tobacco from their portfolio. Being able to show them both what companies were excluded, so they know that they're not holding those, but also showing the dollar value. So you could look at what's the dollar value if they were holding the, the, the broad market in cap weighted space. You could have said you would have held $700 in tobacco companies. And we've been able to 
divert that and re reinvest that money elsewhere in your account. So that's one is just kind of showing them what they've avoided if it's an issue that they want to avoid and how that money has been reinvested elsewhere. And then part of what I've I've been out talking about is ESG 2.0 and you know a lot of this is rest on great work by a number of the of the ESG data vendors but you're increasingly seeing very granular mapping of things like company revenues across various categories. Uh, in one case, we get a data set that allows us to look at the revenue of a company mapped across United Nations Sustainable Development Goals. So you could look at somebody like General Mills, for example, and say like, okay, they've got some cereals that are quite healthy and, and they're good and they're nutritious. And then they've got Frosted Flakes and some others and, and no, you know, maybe apologies to General Mills, they might say like that's still healthy, but you know, <laughs> angle these things and say some of their revenue actually contributes to the United Nations goal of, of, of nutrition and, and uh, healthy eating. That revenue we can then show again through what portion of a company that the investor owns, what is that revenue contribution? And so it helps the investor start to really think about like what kind of things are they owning in their portfolio and what kind of impacts is that having in terms of the activities of the company, the revenues generated by the company, um, things like carbon emissions of the company, very clearly showing them what is it that they own because as an owner, as a shareholder, they have an impact on that. And then lastly, we can show them how we're voting their securities every year. So we go through an exhaustive effort to vote the securities. We try to vote in alignment with the client's ESG preferences. And so we'd like to be able to show them that, that we voted those securities and where their shareholder resolutions that we've been able to deliver their vote. That's interesting. And that strikes me as being so much more detailed than the kind of the blunt hammer of uh, ESG mutual fund maybe has ESG in the title and take some of those metrics that you've mentioned and uh, tilt the portfolio towards or away certain securities. You're taking a much more involved approach, a little bit more of a deeply engaged approach to the stuff you're investing in by actually taking it to the proxy level. Well, I, I do believe that our peers who run commingled funds are, are absolutely, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with a number of them and I think they do good work and I think they also do vote proxies, et cetera. The challenge there is that they're representing many investors and they have to aggregate that all into one single ultimate decision. We're trying to disaggregate that and provide the flexibility for every investor to express uniquely what they want and how they want it. Yeah, for sure. Because uh, no, two no two clients have the exact same values. And the whole point of this is to be able to express your values in your investment portfolio. In and that, that's, a, that's a personal decision. The uh, other challenge, I think, for financial advisors uh, is that because of that bespoke nature right, of each client being a little bit different, there's efficiency costs in trying to manage these portfolios. It's far easier to throw all of your clients into one of three different portfolios that you kind of use in the background off the shelf. If you're trying to make a unique portfolio for every single client that comes in the door, there's efficiency costs there. How do you guys help advisors get around that problem? Yeah. So think about this. I mean, look at the evolution that you, you, you yourself, you know, highlighted that direct indexing has really come on stage in the last couple of years and that there's you know, some folks who are kind of saying it's going to be disruptive and potentially replace some of the mutual fund ETF flows. You will see, you already see, and you will see some of your traditional rebalancing and portfolio management vendors of technology offer 
technology that lets an advisor potentially do direct indexing themselves. But what you've just touched on is sort of the crux of why we think it's really important to work with a firm like JustInvest, which is there's a lot of choices to be made. The choices don't end simply with putting them into a buy list and letting the assets sit there. So if you're tax loss harvesting, you need to be monitoring that on a daily basis and, and being available on those days where the losses are most opportune to be harvested. And then really, you know, you if you're a fiduciary, you have a fiduciary responsibility to represent that investor in proxy voting as well. That's a lot of work for an advisor to take on. And as we've already touched on here, if it's different across many clients, uh, that just becomes a, a very large logistical and operational problem. So again, this is why we've invested a tremendous amount of our knowledge uh, into software and into the technology that allows us to do these things at scale and allows us to do the management daily so that the advisors really, they're giving us the instruction set. They've got the opportunity to use our portal with their client to look at the trade-offs and the decisions and make those choices on the account. Once they set those, those flow directly into our daily process. Um, we've got every instruction set on every account. They can, of course, come in at any time and modify those and change those. Again, it directly flows in. So it's an instantaneous change on our side. And then we take it and we curate it for the rest of the time. So they don't have to worry about this daily oversight and, and they don't have to worry about trading. They don't have to worry about reconciliation. They don't worry, have to worry about proxy voting. These are huge benefits that we deliver to the advisor. Yeah, for sure. It's it's bringing the ease of what you're calling a commingled fund or, a, or an ETF or a mutual fund to this direct indexing bespoke portfolio management. That seems to me to be the kind of the promise of direct indexing, and, and I think it's pretty exciting stuff. You talked about the data, the ESG data, a little bit, and explain to me how that's evolving. Because my sense is that there's kind of this maybe started as 15 data points across each security judged from one to five or Morningstar globes of good portfolio, bad portfolio, you know, whatever, uh, to now a kind of a cacophony of, of data points spread out over numerous categories and, and, and even making it worse, numerous data providers that are serving up uh, uh, aggregations of this data that perhaps in some ways contradict each other, right? I mean, a classic example of Tesla as being a good for the environment or bad for the environment, you know, it depends on who you ask. How are you guys handling the ESG data problem, if indeed it is a problem? Yeah, you know, I think of it as, I guess you could call it a problem, but it's it's a natural evolution. And I think we're in, you know, it's, it's headed in the right direction. Multi-dimensional in, in the sense that, as you said, like if you went back a decade ago, there was far less data, both in terms of the number of attributes that were reported or measured, but also if you look down the market cap spectrum, you know, you really were only seeing the mega caps reporting. Obviously, now we're seeing more and more companies are starting to report more and more information. NGOs are collecting more information and they're, they're working their way down the market cap. So you're getting broader market coverage. These are good things. They're challenging because it produces more data uh, and requires more analysis, but they're ultimately good things for everybody because you really want to have consistent information across the market cap spectrum globally, 
And then you want to get standardization. We're not there yet. As you alluded to, there's various data vendors who provide qualitative assessment on the number of categories. And there's lots of studies out there that will show you that the correlations on those qualitative um, factors tend to be fairly weak, you know, 0 0.4, 0 0.5. Um, and we've, we've done our own share of those comparisons and analyses, and we're aware of them. And you, I think that's really the key here at this stage is to go into the exercise knowing what is qualitative versus what is quantitative and really trying to be open with your end investor about what data you're using, how you're using it, such that they can be aware of that and, and potentially make a decision whether they want that included or not included in their decision. So we tend not to rely on things like ratings, but rather to focus more on actual quantitative measures like is a company involved in an activity or is it not? Or if it is involved in an activity, to what percent? So what percent of revenue, for example, is maybe an investor is worried about uh, global warming and they don't want to have coal companies. Uh, so they want to exclude companies that are burning coal. Well, if you look at utilities sector, that's a lot of utility companies. So then maybe you, you kind of take a balanced approach and you say, okay, we want to exclude utilities that are getting more than 20% of their energy mix from coal burning. Then you get a little more granular. So as long as you're focused on the data and what the data is uh, and think thoughtfully about how you're using it, I think you can still be very productive with the ESG data that's out there. And then lastly, I would say, you know, we really support organizations like SASB that are working towards standards because I think standardization ultimately benefits everybody so that we're all talking about the same thing, measuring the same thing. Yeah, most definitely. Have you seen uh, financial advisors that you're uh, bringing onto the platform use ESG as kind of a uh, prospecting tool? I mean, how easy would it be for an advisor to go out uh, to prospects and say, hey, let me take a look at, you know, what you have, what, you, what you're invested in right now, whether it's through your previous advisor or your 401k or whatever kind of you know, brokerage account you have. Can we just dump it into this machine and I can show you, hey, look, you're really have some uh, significant exposure to uh, some evildoer company XYZ. Uh, is that something you're interested in eliminating? Is, is, that a, is that a legitimate way for advisors to think about uh, ESG as kind of a prospecting tool in this way? You know, there's a there's a very small minority that I would say that are doing some form of that today. It's kind of turned around in the sense of what I see more frequently is the end client will come to their advisor. The end clients become concerned about something and they look at XYZ ETF that their advisor has them invested in and they've gone to the trouble of getting prospectus or quarterly holding statement or whatever. And they've looked through there and they've identified some company that they have an issue with that they're like concerned about. And so that's typically our, our entree into working with an advisor. They come to us and say, Hey, I've got this client and they've brought this issue to me. They don't want to hold whatever company or they don't want to be involved in whatever issue. I can't solve that in the ETF that I've currently got them invested in. So I think what you've outlined will increasingly happen as advisors realize that there is this there are these tools that allow you to you know load either mutual funds or ETFs uh, and get a, a transparency view into them around ESG. But right now it's really being driven by sort of those those concerned investor clients out there. Yeah, for sure. I wanted to, you know you you just invest one for the ESG reporting. You were also finalist for. Uh, daily post-tax performance reporting. And I want you to speak a little bit about that. Uh, what's important about the post-tax performance reporting on a daily basis that advisors can see 
on a daily basis post-tax performance reporting. How's that an advantage? Well, I like to think we're kind of clever folks, but the only way we're actually clever is we listen to our clients. And so uh, we were working with an advisor, a uh, fairly sophisticated advisor who uses uh, one of the longstanding custom SMA providers in the market. And, uh, you know, we had a small foothold into, into the organization and a couple of accounts. And we said, what can we do that would make you want to use us more? And they said, you know, one of our big challenges is these folks give us a post-tax performance report at the end of each quarter. Right. So imagine it's Standard, you know, right? September 15th, and I'm looking at a 630 performance report on a tax basis, but I've got performance for everything else as of yesterday. Mm. And we said, well, if you can compute post-tax performance on a quarterly basis, it's pretty straightforward how to do it on a daily basis. So again, as I told you at the outset, you know, we're technologists who do this stuff. So for us to put it into code and to implement it and deliver it, that's what we do. That's what we live to do. And, you know, we've seen, you know, people are extremely happy with that, right? Because now you can go to your client meeting and have a performance report traditional as of yesterday, and you can have a post-tax report as of yesterday. Yeah, in real time, as opposed to yes. quarterly and, and estimated. That's fascinating stuff. What is next for Just Invest? Is there anything uh, that you guys are looking at on the horizon that you want to move into next? I, I know you just, you, you're, you're, Pushing what 500 million AUM on the on the platform? Uh, yeah, I'm happy to say we're enough. over we're over the half billion mark. Uh, growth okay. has been fast and furious. Some people would have thought March would have been a challenge, but actually we saw some of the biggest growth uh, in the firm history in March because the smart advisors realize that when you have volatility clusters like that, the tax opportunity is is big and, and it's not going to last forever. It's, it's fairly ephemeral, so you want to capture it. Um, so this year has been a really great year for us. Uh, I would say our ambition is way bigger than what we can handle at the moment, but some of the things we're working on, uh, we have a product called Panorama, which is household rebalancing in a tax aware uh, so it does asset location um, and it integrates direct indexing into it where it's appropriate. So it's sort of dual layer. You get direct indexing in certain sleeves, say the equity sleeves. Uh, and then it also does rebalancing across the entirety of the household and weaves in asset location. So it's sort of like tax efficiency squared. We haven't seen anybody else doing this at this level. So we're working with a couple of advisors currently and we'll be rolling that out more broadly uh, later this year. So that's something that we're super excited about. Uh, the feedback has been very positive about it. We're really grateful to be working with those advisors. Where we differ, like a lot of people say, well, that sounds like a TAMP. It's not a TAMP. We're not choosing the managers in that model. We're actually taking the advisor's model. We let them keep their model. They tell us what the, the funds and the securities will be. Uh, and then we implement their models within this uh, software framework for them. So that's one. And last year we started in the fall. Again, this is sort of a side experiment. We only do it for a limited number of accounts presently, uh, but we started doing SMAs with fixed income securities as well. Our CIO used to uh, be a fixed income trader uh, at a very large, well-known uh, manager, and he hasn't lost his pension for an interest in fixed income. Uh, so, you know, we're looking at that space as well. And we think there's a lot of opportunity to do sort of a joint mixture of fixed income and equity SMA in a single account. That's great. Jonathan, we're coming up on 30 minutes here. Uh, congratulations on your success. Congratulations on your three finalists, the awards, and congratulations on your win. Best of luck to you guys in the future. 
Yes, much appreciated. I look forward to uh, seeing you guys in person in New York again next year. I certainly hope so. I certainly hope yeah. so. Jonathan Tadeko, CEO of Just Invest. Thank you very much. This content has been made for information and educational purposes only. The views and opinions represent the views and opinions of the guest and does not necessarily represent the views and opinions of wealthmanagement.com.